0: there we go um yeah there was something was it a was it in the beginning of the book was like a prologue that basically said it was basically that like this is exactly how not to do a canoe trip
1: Welcome back to the Adventure North Podcast.
0: This is Colton Witty, And this is Sean Bloomfield.
1: It is episode 10 of
0: season 2. Yeah, we're making our way through this. Yeah. It's been a good summer though.
1: Absolutely. Um, as we make our way through the season, we have now done a handful of interviews, um, mostly books. Uh, we've got another interview in the works. Um, so we are we have a personal connection to this one as well, but... We'll leave some of the details obscure for now. Um, Our episode today is of the book Death on the Barrens, which documents a 1955 canoe journey through far remote Alaska, not Alaska, uh, Canada, um, through both parts of the provinces of the Northwest Territories and Nunavut, which I believe was all one territory at the time.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I do know, I think it was just called the Barrens. Uh, and oh, I, it was this, called the Bears. This is what sidetracked us when we previewed it last episode. Is basically, <laughs> I was listening to the episode, and basically, uh, you said "Death on the Barrens," which is about in 1955 this canoe expedition on the Barrens, and then I interrupted you so rudely and said, "No, what do they mean by the Barrens?" And we it's went off like and debated Arctic about tundra, that. Tundra. Yeah, basically, and then we stopped. We <laughs> we didn't really preview <laughs> it anymore. Yeah. So. Uh, our listeners are totally on the edge of their seats, wanting to know. Unless they did happen to read it, which, by the way, it's a short book, oh, yeah. short uh, audiobook as well, like a five-hour, five and a half-hour audiobook. Yeah. Which Colton so kindly also introduced me to the fact that Audible you can speed it up, and I sped it up to one point two five. I usually do about double. You do two or three <laughs> times. When we were listening to three times, I was like, "You, there's no way you're even." Oh, of course I am. This. You, I'm going to work you, my way out. I'll it, get up to 1.5 maybe eventually, but... It makes life run in slow motion afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough because a lot of times when I listen to these, any uh, 438 days, I'm doing other things. Mm-hmm. Doing the dishes, trying to do some work. Oh, you have to focus You on have it to be really focused yeah. if it's fast. Even at 1.5, I did that for a little bit, and I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I kept rewinding, so then I went down to 1.25, and that was kind of a sweet spot. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. So anyways... Death on the Barrens. We haven't really talked too much about it other than six guys in 1955 went on a canoe trip. Uh, They started further north than we finished at York Factory and Mm -hmm. only went more north, up into the tundra.
1: um, It's also, uh, relative to the books that we've done so far, we're at probably seven books this season so far. Yeah, about that. Um, It's pretty unique. This is the first one with a large group. And the large group dynamic... I mean, Annapurna oh, the Annapurna maybe. Annapurna yeah. definitely has Oh, Annapurna definitely has a way bigger group. This is only six people. It's six men. And the group dynamic, like Annapurna, has a severe effect on the, the path that the book takes. It seemed um, like
0: that's what most of the book was about, really, was the group dynamic.
1: It's a strange book, and one that I would recommend... Mostly because it's an interesting character
0: study. Yeah. It, and, and a tragic ending, too. Yeah. Which, which also makes for a, a sad but good story, typically. The, yeah.
1: the literary style is very authoritative. It's You can tell that the guy is... And granted, we'll get into his background. He didn't do well at this, but you can tell he has a little bit of a military background mm-hmm. um, because it's very regimented... Journalistic, um, like ha, journalism, even I guess can is too generous because. I, times, I I
0: assumed you meant more like a journal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. which is what it kind of seemed like to me. That was right. going to say that's a really good description. It kind of felt like his journal of the trip, which provides some pretty good insight, mm-hmm. but a lot more insight into his feelings and um, some of the specific events of each day, and less about like i mean It's not about the
1: paddling.
0: Aspect. Right, oh yeah, don't go into it thinking about like a canoe trip. In right. fact uh, there's a couple people that have written about it in hindsight reviewing saying this is basically a guide of how not to do an
1: mm-hmm. expedition canoe trip because what
0: they do talk about with canoeing is uh, pretty like... It's 85 days, their trip took 85 days yeah.
1: and I would guess that a third of the book is really about the actions of canoeing. So there's actually sure. a fair bit of camp life. Oh, But there's yeah. a lot
0: of group dynamic to it. Yep. Yeah. Let's break yeah. down
1: the group a little bit.
0: Yeah. F- perfect. So, first off, first and foremost, I guess there's two kind of main characters. One being the narrator. We'll start with him. The guy who wrote the book. His name is George. Uh, George. Grinnell. Grinnell, yes.
1: Who has yeah. a really interesting background. His yeah. Family's like. It has a bunch of connections to American it's, history. I
0: kind of imagine it as like an old plantation family that uh, has... Except for they're from New York. Yes, true. Or so but maybe like a Hampton well. family. Exactly. Like a lot they're, of family history in terms of power, wealth. He went to Harvard, was has, kicked out. A bunch of his family well, also went to Ivy Wasn't Lake he kicked out five. of Harvard twice? I believe so. Like he was suspended he was and then came back and then kicked out, out.
1: He was kicked out the same day that his father committed suicide, but they don't address the order of operations and if it was like his father did it because he heard that he was kicked out and then the school let him back in. Right.
0: I think it was his father commit suicide first. He had a mental breakdown. And then he had had a mental breakdown, yeah. They let him back in. And they let him back in because of that, giving them the benefit of the doubt. And then it still didn't work out. And then he went and joined the military and he was... He, discharged. i assu- It was for insubordination. So I'm assuming that would be dishonorably discharged. It was, right? I
1: believe, dishonorable, and he um, actively campaigned his fellow soldiers about the merits of pacifism.
0: And there, it was funny because a general or someone was like, "You're preaching the choir." We, We're all nobody, pacifists. <laughs> nobody wants to go out there. Like death. every single person in his group was like, "Yeah, we are totally in agreement with you. You right. need to be talking to other people if you're a pacifist." Right. Uh, so I've totally forgotten about that until you mention it. And the book does go back throughout throughout the story it gives tidbits of George's life before the trip. Yeah. It does yeah. some at the beginning, but then it goes flash. back and revisits it's it. It's not a linear timeline. Which I enjoy. I think that breaks that's things up a little bit. Yeah. yeah, and that's how uh, Into the Wild is. That's how you Wild know. is, A Walk in the Woods. So I that breaks up the monotony to me, but I, I do know that every one of these books that I've mentioned, ours included probably, maybe not, Yet at least uh, some of the negative reviews of them are like, ah, oh, it's was so annoying that they went back. I do kind of agree with in this book as it wasn't uh, overly clear when he was all of a sudden going and talking about the past. That like all of a sudden just it just started. That's fair. Talking about the past. That's fair. So you so, kind of have to be smart about the way you do it. I agree. It there has to be some sort of indicator. Yeah. Um,
1: So speaking of Into the Wild, uh, the second mainmost character is a guy named Art Moffat, who we'll get into a little bit of the controversy about him, um, but he also, he reminded me a lot of McCandless McCandless in Into the Wild. One Um, with nature. Kind of a dreamer Mm -hmm. and and romanticized nature and the environment, Mm -hmm. Um, and think to a certain extent was okay with probably dying in the wild um not because he wanted to die but he definitely he was in the wilderness to escape yeah Uh, and now granted
0: he had a a wife and a child that i know according to his journals he wanted to get back to But he also, there were sometimes, I don't remember if it was in his journals or if George just theorized, he was kind of like at times expecting he'd die up there. Yeah. So it it was a weird back and forth with that.
1: It seemed like maybe it's reading too much into it, but he could have had... um, some ptsd sort of things going on he had been in world war ii he was also like, a pacifist also a pacifist to the and, and a pacifist to the point that he went through uh, and uh, i don't have an exact quote but um uh, some of the bloodiest battles in world war ii he did it all weaponless he was on a medic team yeah what's that um, movie
0: about the guy who did that it just came out a couple of years ago I do not know what you're talking about. That was a famous movie. He
1: was the leader. He was 36. All the others were between... Oh, was was he 36? I thought he was 32. Or 33. Um, No, 36. 36. Oh, okay. Um, Between 18 and 22 years old for the other five. Yeah. George
0: was 22. Art was 36. And yeah, he was the leader.
1: Yeah. Well, and he... So he came back from the war, and he basically was a wilderness guide on the Albany River for... um, Wealthy people, wealthy kids, college students, um, and high school students that were, of the general class that George Grinnell was from, mm-hmm. um, the, the Dartmouth, the, the white collar, right? um, yeah. A couple of them were Dartmouth students. Mm-hmm. A couple were Harvard students. Yeah. Um, just like upper crust, like banker families, sort yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and he catered to them. He knew and could handle or work with that type of um like he knew how to be around that type of people despite his father being a very blue-collar person um his father was a stable hand for a couple different wealthy families yeah or, or maybe it was just one wealthy family but regardless he had been around wealthy people despite right. not coming from wealth and i b- believe he was
0: pretty well educated himself um yeah it, it sure seemed that way and if all these harvard and dartmouth students and graduates and they looked up to it. him they like la- the way that they did especially yeah. in the beginning of the story i'd imagine that he had some uh some education to kind of He's, prove that he was worthy of being he looked up to struck
1: me as like a proto hippie or like a beatnik. um mm-hmm. he was infatuated with the new handheld camera technology oh yeah um, he,
0: he was a filmmaker of, he wanted yeah, to, he wanted to make a film about this mm-hmm. trip to the uh, and, point
1: where, and not to flash forward a ton, he stood there as a grizzly bear him, filming, and yelling at his team not to shoot
0: the bear. Oh yeah, he was very anti, like, killing of animals. Yeah, he didn't like,
1: uh, and they wound up, like, it was part of their provision plans that...
0: They would starve if they didn't. Right. <laughs> he still didn't like. He didn't want to. He didn't want to kill animals to eat, even though they needed it. Yeah. Uh, kind so, of a conflicted person. Yes, and kind of a conflicted leader role, and that and that's very yes. evident in George's uh, narrative about this. Is just how much they looked up to him at the beginning, and then as time went on, they kind of realized that he wasn't exactly a leader. He might. He had the most experience and wilderness and canoeing but that just he didn't have the personality as a leader well but and eventually they kind of took on that personality as well and and they realized that he was the type of leader that teaches you to become your own leader yeah as, as kind of the crux of it and uh, not to get too far ahead but you did mention earlier either intentionally or unintentionally or maybe not even fully but he does die eventually. oh did I or, say that yeah. yeah well you said he struck you as someone who wanted to die in the wilderness frankly enough that I think it showed that he does die, but that's also clear at the beginning of the book. Okay, so that's the fine. book basically starts by saying he dies. Yes, so I don't um, think it's too much of a spoiler. Sure, uh, and that is called Death on the Barrens. Oh, so, so you know fair. somebody's gonna die. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, so Art is not only the leader, not only conflicted in how people view him, but eventually is the uh, the, the person that the person who perishes on the trip. Is interesting. When you read
1: through it, I thought of it as framing him. I thought uh, Grinnell's um, storytelling was framing art in a kind, gentle sort of way, but it actually, his framing of art kind of has been controversial. Yeah. Um, But I think that because Grinnell wasn't the only storyteller of this, there were, like, Sports Illustrated just within years of this happening, put out articles that were pretty critical of art. And I wonder who was the primary source for those. If it was Grinnell contributing to that those, portrayal of yeah. art, then I guess I could understand people's criticism of Grinnell. Mm-hmm. Um, but within Death on the Barons, he doesn't portray him so much as incompetent as... Much as someone that really is a go with
0: the flow. Yep, let the crew decide how decisions should be made.
1: Which is actually very similar to Annapurna. Um, oh, yeah. There was yeah. a big division between the, the Alpha and the
0: Beta on that trip as well. And, and should she be more uh, militaristic and say, you have to do this, or mm-hmm. should she be more diplomatic?
1: And it actually... And tried- R was
0: much more diplomatic.
1: Art was, v- exactly, um, much more, in a, on Annapurna, they talk about, uh, to a certain degree, a masculine or a feminine leadership style. Mm-hmm. Um, women tend to want to a- and appreciate the opinions of others more than men do. Right. Um, so, to back to alpha and betas, um, the beta on this trip, uh, not to devolve into <laughs> animal terms, but it's <laughs> <Fair. laughs> just... <laughs> convenient Yeah, um, was a guy named Skip Pessel.
0: Yeah. Uh, he was well he was basically billed as the number 2 of the trip and by in fact, Art himself. Art,
1: Art when he was recruiting people for this trip explicitly said so that
0: Skip will be the number 2. Yeah. And Skip was a 22-year-old Dartmouth grad
1: had been um, on a couple of these trips down the Albany with with Art,
0: Art and a couple of the other younger Dartmouth students already looked up to Skip and Skip was in charge of the provisions. He was in charge of making sure that uh, people had the right amount of food and rations and keeping up on that and he was much more militaristic in style. Yes, uh, He would he would pull everybody in other than art and say look guys we're running out of sugar this is not going to work out. We have to change how we do this and then they wouldn't end up changing and interestingly enough it was art that was probably taking the extra sugar right but there was <laughs> it, it, it that right there the two different leadership styles the second in command being a little bit more strong man the higher in command being more diplomatic and then the rest being young and influential really set the stage for kind of a, a, it couldn't a debate have, right. right and who to follow and it went back and forth like they didn't seem to like skip but for the first half of the book it seemed like that's who they eventually started gravitating towards as their leader.
1: I think that they they really they needed it. Yes, um, and I think because that, a lot
0: of were unexperienced. George specifically, right? No because, battling experience. Because
1: you can have this debate over what's preferable, but then at the end of the day, um, even if you prefer art style, yeah. It, it, they they realistically started to put themselves in danger
0: because they
1: didn't keep a strict schedule. Yeah, there's no and,
0: debate really that his what like or dislike his style. There's no debate that the decisions he and the entire crew, for that matter, made and, were the were what caused his death.
1: Right, um, because eventually, so let's in, introduce real quickly the, the last the, three, the last three that are play a, definitely a relevant role, but they're definitely smaller roles. Um, we have Peter Franck, um, who also had been on trips with, um, Skip and Art. And And he was the youngest,
0: 18, right?
1: Yeah. So even though he was the youngest, because he had experience, those three, Art, Skip, and Peter were the people in the back, the stern of the canoes. Um, they didn't pull the, the canoeing with the Cree or Adventure North style where you switch at lunch, um, the front versus back paddler. Um, they were permanent sternmen, and then the bowmen. Other than um, George Grinnell, who's the again the main character, were uh, Joe Lenout and Bruce Lefever. Um So Peter was the youngest. He was anxious. He kind of had a stutter. Didn't speak very much. And, oh, very and in rarely, fact, yeah. George mentioned that um, he, despite being in the same canoe with him and the same text. and the same tent. <laughs> hardly heard him speak right
0: those were like the two they were tent mates and canoe mates but it wasn't until later on in the trip when when he peter's anxiety really started to boil up because of how behind they were like a month behind i think peter was the reason that skip started to get more control and i
1: think in hindsight um Everybody had a severe case of cognitive dissonance. As they fell further and further behind, they were more and more happy to take days off.
0: Yeah. And, well, they really started to enjoy the nature, too. And they started to kind of fall into the peacefulness of being up there. And then the other two, the two other bowmen with George were Bruce and Joe. Bruce was the main hunter, even though they all, I think, hunted a little bit. Um. And then Joe was, he was the guy that brought a bunch of extra supplies, right? He brought a warmer sleeping bag. He was kind of softy. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, And he regularly talked about kind of regretting, kind of, or like was always skeptical of uh, going out and being talked into because he was the
0: roommate of Bruce, I believe. They're, yeah, they are both 19-year-old Dartmouth students, so they must have been roommates. And they both, specifically Bruce, really looked up to Skip. Yeah. As the as the recent Dartmouth grad, 22. When when you're 19, 22 is like the coolest age. Yes. So
1: <laughs> they, like, <laughs> they loved had, Skip,
0: and he had that leadership style that right. they needed.
1: Right, and so Bruce drugged Joe along with... So Joe paddled with Art, um, Bruce with Skip, and Peter with George. They almost immediately start falling behind. They left also... So, uh,
0: George had literally never been in a canoe. <laughs> and <laughs> it, if you look at pictures, like, it kind of shows that a lot of them, even the experienced canoeists... Now, granted, it's 1955 when this takes place. I see. So, some of it I have to chalk up to, like, the I, time. I kept falling into this thought that it was a similar
1: time to canoeing with the Cree. Sure, this but was it was actually twenty 30 years, later, years later. 30 years later, almost, Yeah, because yeah. that was... 1920. 1920. That was 1930. Yep. This yeah. was 55, so it was 25 years, 25 years later.
0: Yep. Nice math. Kind of...
1: Yeah, literally halfway <laughs> between 20 and 30. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it kind of struck me going through the pictures that we actually found online, not in the... We both listened to the audiobook, not read the books. So I'm not sure if there are pictures in the book. Um, but um, they look like they
0: are just they they hopped in a canoe for a day trip. Yeah. And just kept going. Yeah. Now there was more planning that went into it, but the the nature of this expedition was I believe Art did almost all the planning.
1: Art did all the planning and he, he arranged for the provisions. Yeah. In in fact everybody paid him two hundred dollars um to cover the costs. Like they had literally no influence in right. the the decisions. I believe that they were told to bring piece of gear xyz because that's why someone like joe wound up with the heavier or the more expensive fancier sleeping bag and parka whereas literally george talks about how he spent six dollars on a sleeping bag (laughs) that relatively quickly had all the stuffing fall to
0: the sides and disintegrate so it over so first off trip starts out they they're like a couple weeks behind even to start because of issues with getting there, transportation, food well, issues. They had
1: a long portage
0: just to start, and
1: they couldn't afford um, to. They, it was and it was a truck portage. Yeah. They couldn't
0: afford to do two two loads, portages, but it was too but, much to fit on one truck.
1: Which says a hell of a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. When well, it was three canoes, but still three canoes,
1: six guys, and. Well, they didn't bring, so they took 85 days. They didn't have any intention in bringing three months worth of food and rations. No, it was like maybe two months or less. Yeah.
0: And a lot that they were just expecting to fish and hunt for.
1: Which is the same thing that they do in canoeing with the creek. Right. So that's not suicidal, even though it sounds like it now. True. But it's definitely, they're going out on a limb. And anybody, we haven't mentioned the river, anybody that wants to Put it on pause and check out where they are it's the dubant river d-u-b-a-w-n-t um, and it's in northern northern Canada. Yeah, like, I think
0: it was probably, there's there's some pictures with trees, but a vast majority of the pictures, it is literally treeless. Like, we finished in the tundra, with air quotes, mm-hmm. where it was permafrost, it was marshy. Trees it grew was, four feet tall. Yeah, there were still some, there was some vegetation. They're north of the tree line. They're... Far or the they, they talk far about north of the tree line.
1: At, at one point, the
0: tallest trees that he, Well, like because, knee high, right? Right. He, yeah. he, he tried to find something. Well, in firewood. T- right. Imagine how tough that would be when yeah. there's no trees. And well,
1: and to the point where they w- they had a pack, and they, it wound up. Look, let's not address the the climax quite yet, but they brought a they had a pack of driftwood that anytime they saw driftwood they would put it in their special
0: emergency driftwood pack if they needed emergency firewood. Yeah, That's how scarce it would Yeah, is. they needed... <laughs> yes, and that's what they... They didn't bring a white gas and camp stove. They did have a camp stove. Oh, did they? Uh-huh. Okay, Gears. how did they? How did they? Oh, okay, I must have missed that. That was because, probably when I was listening on 1.5 speed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: because the, the evidence of it was um, Art didn't like that when they stumbled across the um, the gear stash, the cachet, mm-hmm. um, that was, I believe for a float plane, they stole aviation fuel for their stove. Oh, yeah. And Art was not a fan of that because right. he thought that, um, and probably rightfully so,
0: you literally can kill somebody if you steal, if you from, steal their their from their cachet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they get off, they get going, but again, the book really, I mean, right away they're taking breaks, like not just like a break for an hour, like a full on rest day. And part of that was Art wanting to film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually a huge part of it. But another part of it was just Art's desire to be one with nature, like he was more into the wilderness. And by the way, I was gonna say this earlier and I forgot about it when we were talking about this like is how ill prepared they you were. Would yeah, trip. this actually <laughs> reminded me of our trip and like. The lack of good planning. Now, we had more experience than them. We we had had better gear.
1: And we also, someone, we got our first negative review on Amazon, and it made me want to reply that we weren't so unprepared that we didn't. It was that we had three and a half season
0: gear and ran into four seasons. Yes, also we were 18, and there were times where we were unprepared. However, we were prepared canoeing-wise. Right, oh, we did yeah, a lot of absolutely. practice trips. Like we knew how to canoe, we knew how to have a schedule and stick to it. Yeah, uh, we didn't like <laughs> we didn't ever deviate from if you could paddle, you paddled. Right, um, <laughs> to a fault. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, but yes, I would have liked more break days, but not this many. Sure, like I would have liked break days when we were running into winter on the spring end. That was that was my. That would have been view. nice. I yeah. would have liked a break day as, a, or maybe just paddle twelve hours a day instead of twenty four hours a day on the Red River. <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> but the, sue me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Anyways, they but like, uh, the food that they had like a bland diet. Uh, yeah. Sleeping bags got wet. Tents. Uh, they ran into winter as they went on. You know what? It also, a lot of the criticism made me
1: want to. Reply to the critics, you've never done this because you can prepare a lot and still have things go wrong right.
0: oh yeah you, uh, planners are well prepared mm-hmm. adventures are not like you always plan to be well prepared right. and that, that's the same person by the way right you're well prepared when you leave yeah. and then when you're on the trip, it all goes to heck right, right uh, By the way, authors never respond to Negative reviews, so.
1: Well, I, I'm yeah. never
0: going to. But <laughs> <laughs> you certainly can if you'd like, but I'm. Heck, I can I, I welcome it. Go for it. <laughs> but, um, anyways, yeah. So it there were a lot of parts of this trip that really reminded me of ours, but then again, there were a lot that didn't because they were more ill prepared than us, and they also had six people to infight yeah. and have those inner struggles with. I did get a kick out of uh, there was a part about midway through the book when George. He was canoe mates with Peter. Peter was in the stern, George's in the front, and this passive aggressive silent battle that they had. Where, where with George the George was, was the like all uns- that ran the length of the canoe. Yeah, the, like the center of gravity was off, so George would move over to like the side and then Peter would move from the back would move over to the far other side, and then George would. Say, and he was like. Eventually, we were so both on our opposite sides that we were basically like leaning almost into the water. And I was like, "That's just classic it's so passive real. aggressive canoeing." So <laughs> like
1: it's just little things, like because without it, even it, saying a word, the same that. thing happens with and, and it. Probably the easiest criticism that a bow paddler has, or the most common criticism a, a new bow paddler has for the sternman is that you drive you can't drive in a straight line oh and yeah it's, you don't recognize it until you're in the back of the canoe and you do a lot of paddling that the point that matters is not the one ten 10 or 20 or 50 oh, right. feet ahead it's, all it's all the, the, the horizon yeah. <laughs> and it's like you're flying it's gonna a be plane. a little bit zigzag you cannot yeah. go in a dead right. straight line.
0: well you probably could go on a pretty darn straight line but you'd lose a lot of paddling strokes steering yeah, you're, you just you're steered much by, you'd better be a off just
1: paddling your ass off and assuming yeah. you're going to get where you're <laughs> Right. <laughs> so we're starting to reach um, the first set of rising action. Before we get there, let's get to our uh, sponsor for tonight. Perfect. So tonight's sponsor is Boreal Studios and Anastabra Photography. They're one and the same. Uh, Anna Stauber shoots wedding photos, headshots, uh, artistic photos, and candid photography, whether it's a, events or um, culture sort of
0: things. Did, did you say graduation pictures? I did not. Does she do them? She does. Okay, so, there we go. I also am <laughs> not reading from copyright. <laughs>
1: Anna Stauber Photography, that's A-N-N-A-S-T-A-U-B-E-R. And then also Boreal Studios, new branding as uh, she starts to transition that way. I also occasionally shoot with her, um, but she generally shoots in the Minneapolis area. We did fly out to Boston to shoot a wedding, uh, plans change, but did that just a couple weeks ago. So we are open to all invitations. Back to the show. So first
0: major conflict, the sugar incident. Yes, so the sugar was they were running out of sugar, uh, and Skip was unhappy about it. Skip was unwilling to blame Art about it because Art was the only person there, kind of above his command and that he looked up to. So he then this is how I saw it. He then blamed the other four, the three Bauman and Peter, and they were all kind of like. Uh, it's he was. Art. It was <laughs> like it was
1: definitely. And because there's only the one perspective in the book, sure. it's framed though as uh, all uh, one against all.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and basically, the decision that the four that were being blamed for have made was, why don't we all just split up the sugar into even rations, and then we use our own sugar. Which that would also be my vote. Yeah, that seems like the logical vote, it's right? It's such a simple Unless solution. Unless, if you're the person who's using the most of the sugar, yeah. who also gets to make the final decision, yeah. and he said, what did he, first he said, I think the first time this situation came up, Art said, we're going to keep doing it this way. Right. And then he finally he said, said, let's let everybody else decide. Right.
1: Well, and he, he said something about, basically. Oh, he said skip decide. He wanted, he put the pressure on the accuser. Yeah, and then basically diverted to the honor system. Yeah. And, totally ineffective and... And then the issue came up again. A thoroughly... It's true to form for Art. Yeah. <laughs> he was not willing to deal with conflict right. or triviality. He
0: always kind of... And again, the book lacked a little bit in terms of uh, like giving visual descriptions mm-hmm. of where things were. But I kind of always imagine these conversations, Art sitting up on a ledge somewhere else, like 20 feet away, and the rest of them having this conversation. It seemed like Art was always just looking off into the wilderness.
1: Well, and they talked about how long after everybody would go to bed, he would sit... And this was actually the source of the the sugar problem. Yeah. He would sit up late at night drinking tea, pondering things. It almost made me wonder um, if it was an allegory for... Drinking or smoking. Um, Could be. If nothing else, it's certainly someone that strikes me as very possible PTSD who was needing to introspect in order to find peace.
0: Yeah, and I don't know how... I, I suppose I probably was diagnosed back then because there were a lot of wars and they might have just called it something different, but regardless, he... Uh, well, there was also a strong culture of machismo
1: after World yeah. War II because there were so many of them that if they had diagnosed PTSD yeah. as a mental illness, they would have had to institutionalize Dem- millions. millions of yeah. people. Right, And so instead, they reverted to be a man. Yeah. And that was actually a big part of the con- or not controversy, but like
0: tension between Vietnam vets and World and War, World II, War vets. II vets. Yeah, um, So eventually, this does boil into... Uh, almost like an all-out mutiny. Yeah. Because once uh, Art finally says, let everybody decide, everybody votes, and then they vote to ration out the sugar like they all wanted. I think this was a key turning point is uh, Bruce, I think, said, Skip, we'll put you in charge of rationing it out. Yeah. And then it was almost like that was the moment where I think Art, I think Art just got up and walked away. He did. Because that was when everybody realized, okay, Skip's now, like, making decisions. He
1: at They're least, trusting
0: him to... And, but Skip was, like, kind of offended by this. He was. He was, because it put pressure on him, and he yeah.
1: wasn't trying to stage a coup. Right. He was calling out something that... They had very meager rations, and it was a legitimate problem. Sugar wasn't just a... Um, tea thing. It, it wasn't just a tea thing. Like, that's actually calories, and right. important calories yeah. that, like, you... <laughs> legitimately want to be fair on. Yes. So I don't know. it um, they were all in a very tough position because of art. but then again, that take has been doubted in hindsight by others. Uh, Skip actually basically condemned this
0: book. Yeah now I will say in reading the article that uh, quoted Skip heavily uh, in canoe and kayak, he more seemed to have issue with George's take that art was suicidal, mm-hmm. and I didn't catch a ton of that tone in the that book either. He was suicidal, I, either. like I didn't really get that. There's a the difference
1: between being actively suicidal and being okay with dying. It's just like the people that say that about McCann was right.
0: So, anyways, I the issues that I noticed that Skip had with George's perspective on art didn't necessarily take away I, it didn't seem like skip said uh, or skip contradicted anything about art being kind of a flower child carefree let's let things go it seemed like that's established and, and they do make
1: references and i wonder to a certain degree um grinnell also talks about buddhism and asceticism and more eastern perspectives which are definitely connected with the growth of the beatnik movement moving into the hippie movement. Like, yeah, you can see it in the course of the Beatles, right. where they even like they started to incorporate Eastern philosophy. Right, um, and it, there's just definitely art was not the traditional Eurocentric machismo like dominate the group, and at a certain point they needed that because yes. and that's where just, Skip came in handy, actually, just like canoeing with the Cree. Things started to get cold
0: yeah well yes they did because especially because they kept taking rest days mm-hmm. and I think that all really started when they hunted their first caribou they were they like they, they suddenly they were they went from hungry and miserable and to... nervous about running out of food yeah and then all of a sudden they got this and George goes into a long aside on this part about like his spiritual upbringing and how he felt uh, he talked about his time in the church uh, and how he felt about how he needed to use all the parts of this animal—not necessarily like use in terms of uh, like the way natives might like use the bones, right. but more uh, use the animal he spiritually. He was like thanking he, the animal well, for it giving itself to him.
1: Strong, uh, strong comparisons to um, Jesus and things yes, like that, and yes. sacrifice, yep. and um, with the caribou, literally yeah. like this is the body, this is the blood, sort right. of thing. He treated it as, uh, as like, this spiritual uh, taking the caribou to create more life for himself. Yeah,
0: and I got the impression that it was at this point when he and a few of the other uh, more they miserable start... crew started just kind of being okay with being up there forever. Like, I think that... Like, they were... We should mention, they didn't see a single other person this entire trip. Right. Until, like, the, the second to last day, like, after Art even died. Right. So, so they were on their own. Yes. They were in a treeless tundra, totally removed. They were, they, they were going to be the, the first people to ever do this without native support. And only, right. like, the third crew to ever do it at all. Yes. Right? The, so, the this third is, like, European very remote. Did, yes. Yeah. Uh, and they were so removed from civilization that it was almost like they started to forget the civilization existed.
1: Well, and... I think that, um, to a large extent, that same, like, like, is simultaneously cognitive dissonance, but then also they wanted
0: it. They willingly Um, were up there, yeah. Other than Peter.
1: George was talking about how, um, on the one hand, he missed some of the creature comforts, but then on the other hand, he could see the value of the wilderness. Because he... Just like McCandless, just like us, frankly, saw the beauty in divorcing
0: themselves from society on yeah. occasion. But the, it, became a, their, it became their everything. The string the
1: becomes more and more tense, and sooner or later it has to break as to whether you're going to come back. Right. <laughs> and, and Peter kind of snaps them back into it. Yeah, and it was
0: like, he basically was like, everybody's gone crazy yes like everyone you've that all gotten gotten says that. yeah like stuttering we are a month behind schedule we still have a couple hundred miles left and we're a couple days from winter blizzards hitting us right. in the arctic tundra they talk and we about, are not prepared for this not at all
1: uh like george doesn't even have gloves with right they're <laughs> not going to survive yeah, you're right they were worse, they were less prepared than us they were not prepared for an arctic fall let alone an right. arctic winter. winter
0: right and so quickly enough blizzard hits yeah and um, it, like, it breaks they, their tent yeah like peter it, and uh, george's tent was done for it was to- it, torn to shreds basically it, right it torn um tent poles broken and, and they're in an area that's treeless Yeah, and it was snowing a bunch too i mm-hmm. didn't realize how much snow there was until we saw that picture things are buried kind of, in snow yeah like their canoe was under snow yeah like not just i just kind of imagined as because he said the word sleet a lot yeah, yeah and yeah. i imagine as kind of like what we had very windy sleeting a mm-hmm. little bit of snow right theirs it sounds like was there like was hard snow like, that he called sleet that ended up accumulating to right. like they, half a foot
1: exactly it wasn't like there were three feet of snow but there was definitely
0: many inches of yeah. snow and, like, almost gale force winds. Yeah. He, he said he said there was no way for us to actually measure it, but it was...
1: And it it kind of... It did light a fire under them.
0: Yes. But this is an additional criticism
1: that... And because we don't have... Maybe I'm revealing our lack of... This is one bit of research that I failed to do. <laughs> I didn't look for the 1950s Sports Illustrated article. Oh, about, yeah. I, I, I don't think I read other articles not. about it, but we searched and it yeah. didn't turn up. Right. Um, regardless, um, criticism of art was that because he had put them behind, but they had all fallen into being, or all all but one or two um, had fallen into fallen into, into, the, into like being comforting. fine with yeah. being um, kind of moseying.
0: But there, there was other things that they did when they were moseying is like they were at the top of rapids and Art scouted them for, like, two days. Yeah. Well, and then and, they went, and they were just fine.
1: And, and Weird
0: things like that that were earlier in the trip, too, that were totally avoidable. Absolutely. But, yeah, because winter hit, they were unprepared for it. I feel they like were in too much of a hurry. No. They just...
1: Uh, yes and no, because in that, uh, in the Canoe and Kayak article, they criticized the Sports Illustrated article um, because in one paragraph it says that Art became not cautious enough, whereas they, in another paragraph, say that he had scouted the rapids
0: directly above it. I think it wasn't these rapids. So eventually what ends up happening is they're being, we'll talk so about they, what ended up happening. Yeah. yeah, they were they were in a hurry. They finally realized we got to go. Yeah. We have to finish this trip. Specifically, they're in an area between Marjorie Lake and Aberdeen Lake, which is three quarters of the way through a three month trip. So they're still like a ways from finishing. Yeah. and it's a stretch of rapids and they're doing fine on it, but I know that they didn't scout these specific rapids. Correct. They perhaps scouted rapids up above this. Right. But typically like like I said, Art was extra cautious, stopping and scouting rapids for like days on end. Yeah. And these he said, I think I gather that he said it's just a ripple. Because that's because what his bowmen what... kept saying over and over, like, and reliving it and that night, like, joking. dramatically. Yeah, just it's just a ripple. It's just yeah. a ripple. So I'm imagining that's what Skip said as they neared it. It's just a ripple. Well, or not and, Skip. Uh, art.
1: I think that there is a kind of misconception about, like, everybody says, listen for the waterfall. It doesn't work like that. No. <laughs> no. And... It's not that hard to be caught off guard and in a position where there is no way to scout. Right, and they talk about suddenly, basically falling over the edge of not a, a waterfall, but a steep decline. Yeah, the the like the river rapidly increases its drop, and you're committed at that yeah, point. And, and they, they actually, they hit a, a four foot standing wave. Right. It's remarkably similar to when we
0: swamped. Right. Um, when we filled our canoe. Yeah. yeah. Well, so they,
1: arts canoe tips, um, with Joe in it. And then, Skip um, and Bruce, Skip and Bruce t- tips tip. as well. Um, and then, so it leaves only Peter and George. They, but they go to shore, drop things off. It took and, like 30
0: or 20 minutes, apparently, to even get back to the people and that tipped.
1: They're trying to, they go to packs before people. So some of the people um, got back to shore. It was, and this is actually the biggest criticism that I might have for all six of them. They clearly had no
0: disaster plan. Right. They didn't know what to do if they something had, happened. It,
1: yeah. Like it, that. Th- so George is at one point trying to pull a pack into the canoe, and he himself falls out because yeah. he does it poorly. Right. So then you have five out of six people that are in, like, rapids. literally 30 some degree yeah. water in. Parkas and old style heavy boots with no, no great
0: way to make a fire. No great way to much make a fire. Because there's not much
1: wood. All of them are starting to go hypothermic. Yep, and they uh, all
0: eventually get to shore. All eventually. And they're get all to kind shore. of laying there and freezing, and then what? So and George, George and, and Bruce, I want to say, get into a tent. Get into a sleeping a sleeping bag. bag, like one sleeping bag together, right? They yeah. take off all their clothes. Everybody's naked. Yeah, and it like. On one sense, they're spooning naked and straddling each other, but on the other sense, this is it's survival. survival. Like, <laughs> like, this is not a concern. <laughs> but it ended up coming up because once, after like several, hours, and then they leave Art out there, but then eventually bring him back in. It wasn't they. It wasn't like hours that they left him out right. there. It's it, Art was. I think Skip brought him in. or something Slightly like
1: responsive. It, it, so like. Three of them were worse off than yeah. the other three. So I guess to classify to triage them, there was one person who had stayed, I think, dry the whole Peter? time. Um, I don't remember. It must which have been one. if it was.
0: There were two that the other were, two canoes tipped, and if George so five got, got wet, so, so then Peter would be the only one left. Yeah, yeah, right. Man of
1: that, of that canoe. Um, so Peter's dry. Two of them are got wet but are relatively fine. Three of them are in rough shape. Yeah. And George pulls um, one of the two that are in rough shape in with them, um, and Art was left. The way he, the George way George was,
0: said it was, we left Art for dead. Yeah. Out there. He was already And he dead. was very critical of himself, saying, like, critical, I didn't... So. I always... He, this is me quoting him uh, loosely, saying... As George, I always thought I would be someone that would sacrifice myself to he save someone. He tries to, but then when the situation came, yeah, and then he was like, "When the situation came, it was, I survival. Wanted to, it was survival mode kicked in. I saved myself instead of Art, yeah. basically, as the way he was blaming himself. I'm sure all the others feel some blame for it as well." And can, I can't say that I blame him. Well, it's it's You can't really judge somebody until you're in that. Yeah position agreed 100 yeah. percent. and then eventually bruce comes to when well, george is spooning him naked and straddling him and so bruce is like freaking I out thought that was joe i thought they oh, could have been because joe.
1: they then went into the, they then got the tent set up and i think that bruce was fine and joe was going in and out of like a fever dream yeah and like and then flailing. even george
0: eventually starts doing that too yeah like they were all in and out of consciousness. It seemed yeah. like for a while there, and finally, after like a day or two, they ended up just hiking. Uh, they cut off like sev- hundred miles on like a ten mile portage is what really? they ended up doing to get out of this situation. And then they got back on the water,
1: and I they still had
0: like a week left or ten days yeah, left. It was ten days from which is away. a long canoe trip. Yeah, like if you just to someone who doesn't normally canoe, ten days is a good length every day was- paddling canoe trip
1: tend to, but and they, they left could, they didn't they left actually body, right? their pace yeah because they're when they get to their destination is Baker Lake um they get to Baker Lake which has a a big Hudson's Bay Company yep. trading post that was actually they were evacuating it like they are Hunts- leaving it for the winter exactly yeah. but they were waiting for they knew that they were waiting for this crew mm-hmm. and actually um this is another criticism levied upon art that isn't fair. Um, people said that he didn't have any schedule. And the Hudson's Bay Post had a date that they started flying a plane over the route looking for oh, them. Yeah. Granted that date was it was September fifteenth they're in the Arctic. Yeah, it's a little it's late. It's pretty late. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty late. But it is a the only, So So four of them, um, Peter, Joe, Bruce, and George, uh, flew back to Churchill. Churchill, and that's and where they s- met
0: with Mounties and told their story. But
1: Skip stayed back um, to go find the body with Mounties that were based on Baker Lake. Yep,
0: and they got the body. They were never able to get it back home. To the okay. United States. So the body is actually buried up on Baker Lake. There's a cemetery there in town. Um, and there's there's an image of the little memorial there. And and Skip, I think, actually spent the whole winter there. Or if he didn't actually do it, he intended to. And he did a lot of writing, getting to know the locals. Um, and I think, judging from... At least George never really talked about what any of the others were up to after that trip. So I get the impression they all kind of fell apart.
1: Which... I kind of understand that's what happened in yeah. Canoeing with the Cree. Yeah. You either become really
0: close or you fall apart. And I and think with the death happening of of their beloved leader at this point, he was their beloved leader again. Yeah. Um, it, I think that add, added apart. to it. Yeah. And
1: not to, because the podcast is about the adventure story, but to sidetrack slightly into Grinnell, it
0: sounds like it also kind of messed him up in general. He had a tough going afterwards. The last, like, two chapters were about his life after the trip, but just his life. Yeah. And he had two sons and one of their son's cousin and one of their son's uh, girlfriend Girlfriend. pass away on a canoe trip of their own. Mm -hmm. Um, He had had three three marriages. Like, Uh, his life... Didn't exactly go as planned. And he started writing the book like four years before it was published, and it kept getting denied, and then he made it better. He was institutionalized while he was going for his PhD. Yep. He actually, about the book thing, he actually said that it made the book better, he thought. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if he's still alive. There's not a lot of information out there about him. I know he was alive within the last ten
1: years. Sure. There's also, so, something to keep in mind.
0: Skip wrote his own account of this, and it came out four years ago. Kind of like Into Thin Air, how Krakauer has his account, and then Mm -hmm. there's another account. Because when there's these disastrous situations, and and, there's all this adrenaline, and and Into Thin Air is different because of the high altitude, but perspectives are different. People have different opinions of how things happen. There's
1: so much science behind, or specifically psychology, um, psychological studies behind... The fact that eyewitness testimony is oh, pretty it's super, un, yeah, it's super inaccurate. Yeah, it, it just everything you see is so framed it's, by your pers- bias
0: and perspective. Yeah, uh, one thing I want to say before we close out—I don't know how much left we have here—but uh, a lot of the negative reviews with this book and with. Any, adv- uh, Wild, I saw a lot of the same negative reviews with. I always like reading reviews after I read a book. Mm-hmm. By the way, I try not to before. Like, maybe a it couple. colors
1: your opinion. Yeah,
0: but I like to read it after just to see what other people thought and if mm-hmm. it jived with what I thought. Well,
1: and, and inevitably, then,
0: any big book is going to have positive and negative and middle-of-the-road reviews. But a not. lot of the negative reviews about these adventure books are saying how unprepared and, like, how... They're, they're negatively reviewing the adventure and not the book. And, like... I agree, they were unprepared in this trip. I agree that uh, Cheryl Strayed was largely unprepared. I don't think that, in my opinion, that makes it a good book, right? Like a good story, right? So I don't quite. Maybe some people, when they review adventure books, review review the trip as opposed to the book and the story, right? But I my take on this book is absolutely they were unprepared. It is kind of a way to not do a trip, not do an expedition. There are other flaws with the writing, I think. But overall, I'd still say this is a good book. Absolutely. I mean, I'd say like a four out of five stars. Yeah. So pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh, And and it's short enough that I think it's worth it. I thought it could have been made into like a movie at some point. It seems like it's the perfect sort of book to be made into a movie.
1: I think that your comment on reviews speaks to part of the trouble of review, like analytics-based review things in general is
0: people go into reviews trying to accomplish different things. N- yes, and they all have, like, a different thing that they're... Right. They all have a, a, a different view on reviews right. and what they mean. So, yeah, agreed.
1: Um, so, uh, what scales should we do? Does this make you want to do a uh, trip not...
0: in the severe Arctic? Okay, so what's interesting is no, definitely not a trip up there. I, it, like, it's pretty... But I don't think it'd be pretty for a prolonged period of time. It's like, desolate. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the scenery doesn't change much. Um, I did have a dream about a... I don't remember if it was hiking or canoeing last night, and it was the first time maybe in about a decade that I've had a positive dream about a canoe or hiking Actually? Adventure. Uh, probably not a decade. I'm. I wanted to do the Montana trip, so I probably was having positive dreams about it then. You know what that means? You're slowly getting back into the mindset. Maybe because usually my dreams uh, are I'm forced to redo the Hudson Bay trip, <laughs> and it's just me, and it's and it's like I literally sometimes wake up like in in a, in a terror. <laughs> the <laughs> and, the but podcast this all... is working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's all part of your plan. Well, no, I woke up, but I think this was, a, it was, like, a timid hiking trip, but, like, just the the rigor of waking up, taking down camp, getting everything, and just doing something all day, and then getting, getting to where you want to just lay in a bed, but you have to set up camp, you have to cook. Like, that's the stuff that people forget about on these adventure trips if they've never done them.
1: Oh, it's tedious beyond belief. Yeah. Like, <laughs> those tedious
0: things that are, like, the last things that you want to do. Yeah. It's not just pretty paddling it's not just good views on the mountains like there's a lot of work that goes into it but not just the hiking and paddling work but like the the tedious work that goes into it and for some reason that didn't deter me in this dream that tedium oh so in your dream you were going through the tedium yes it was like setting up camp or taking down camp and I i was like i don't mind i kind of enjoy this i think that tedium
1: is part of what frames the perspective that um 438 days so well put or framed was that the smallest battles become life and death mm-hmm. and the smallest triumphs become the most monumental thing in your life. Yeah. Um, and without that tedium I don't know that you could have that, that sort of That could be a big part of it for sure. Yeah. Um, if you're baseline is extremely monochromatic yeah it makes it so that when you get to these legitimately <laughs> exciting exciting or, yeah. insane things your perspective is so yeah. thoroughly it's like if you go to a, a roller coaster park that only has roller coasters by the end of the day even the most extreme one is pretty yeah, yeah. but if you sat in a in a sensory
0: deprivation chamber, and And then then got onto the most extreme one,
1: you're gonna have a hell of a ride.
0: I'll give you another example, not to get too far uh, into this, but we talked about future possible guests or future trips. Um, There's one guy that I haven't even contacted with, but I I have a connection with him and he's currently hiking the Appalachian Trail. And today I was reading his blog and he hit 2000 miles today. Uh, and there's a little spot on the on the trail that says 2,000 miles, and he did a little video of himself uh, with the occasion and showed uh, showed the marker, and then he started crying, and that just is an example of like a, that big of success. It's just sticks. that say the number 2,000, mm-hmm. and he's not done, but, but like it's, it's so ex- your emotions are so extreme when when your day to day life is so. I think
1: I like, think. Cheryl Strade's Wild really points out in no uncertain terms that the majority of these sort of trips aren't the physical part. There's a lot of physicality to it. Yeah, but but it's the, the reason the reason that people that come away from it think that they've done this crazy wild thing that people don't really
0: understand is because it is mostly mental. Mm-hmm. For sure. But Speaking that's of, but
1: that's where the addiction to it yeah. comes from.
0: Speaking of addiction and some of like the mental turmoil of a long adventure, and, and especially if you're not used to doing this kind of thing. Let's talk a little bit about our next book. It's going to be Canoeing with Jose, which is a very recent book. It just came out in about the last year, though the trip took place, I think, in mid-2000s, like 2005-ish. Okay. Uh, and it's about this, essentially the same route as Canoeing with the Cree Adventure North, except for the spin on it is this is a little bit less about the canoeing of the adventure, And it's a little bit more about uh, the companion that the main character takes with. And his name is Jose. He's an inner city youth from St. Paul. Uh, I think he's 17, 18, or maybe even 19 now, so I don't know if youth is the correct word. But he grew up in the inner city of St. Paul, half Latino, half uh, Dakota. And he was a member of gangs, tough upbringing, never set foot in a canoe in his life. And this guy takes him on the trip. And so it's a whole story about how does he adapt to life on the water. How and in some ways it's kinda of hysterical, in other ways it's kind of sad and like eye opening. So it's just a really interesting right, different like, type of trip.
1: Speaking of perspective, yes, like yeah. the the shift from being um, a gang, gang ci- member, essentially inner city gang member to Someone that is living out in the wild. Yeah,
0: yeah. The route is totally different because of that. Like, they don't start in Minneapolis. They start over on the, over, like, near Fargo. How do how they, they know I think Watkins Breckenridge. He, the author and the, and the, I guess, protagonist, main character, however you want to put it, um, he worked with, with inner city youth. youth. I think he was teaching them journalism or something like that. He taught, like, a class, and that's how we met him. He met Jose when Jose was, like, a mid-teenager. Okay. And they built a relationship and connection and and then did the trip and it gets especially interesting in northern Canada when uh, Jose who's half native meets these Cree Mm -hmm. and and just their interaction and how they view him paddling from Minnesota and how he views them and their way of life just it's fascinating for all different reasons uh, than what we've normally been doing with this with this season but it's still an adventure story hell yeah and it'll be interesting I think so I've already read it Colton's gonna be reading it here now uh, I think, Colton, you'll also be interested because it goes through, like, it's the Hayes River. Mm-hmm. Like, some of the same stuff we did. Right, the absolutely. River. They skipped um, Lake Winnipeg, but... I can't wait to read Canoeing with Jose, learn more about his perspective. Who's it by? Uh, John Lurie is the guy's name. I think it's Milkweed Productions is the name of the Oh, Minnesota publisher. publisher. Yep, yep. Cool. Bought it at a local Minnesota book festival as well. Didn't they, he was, You. we were both selling books at it, right? Uh, no, it was the, it was the one at the state fairgrounds. I think you were visiting oh, it sure, there. Oh, sure, sure. But, um, they had a booth right across the aisle for me, and I, right, the... it had just come out at that time. Cool. So, yeah, our listeners should definitely check it out as well. I know my dad read it, and he enjoyed it a lot, too. I've heard a couple people, like, up in Ely had read it, and they liked it. So, check it out. Hopefully, you tune in next week to hear our story about it, and then we've got some, uh, interviews, one, two, maybe three, lined up here.
1: Yep. Um, as this season... Uh, starts to wind down with the summer wrapping up. Stay tuned for uh, those exciting climaxes with the interviews. And um, for the Adventure North podcast, it's been Colton
0: Whitty And this was Sean Bloomfield. Alright, thanks y'all. See you next week. See ya.